O Canada, weren't those words really exciting about God wanting to release the young guys? You know, too often, um, I think we do separate the church into older, younger, and then there's kind of some unwritten rules. You've got to get to a certain age or, you know, you kind of got to hang around there and somehow the rules get more and there's more hurdles to jump through before you can actually accomplish something. Tell you, if Christ was here now, he would freak us out with the team he would choose. You know, we'd think the front row. <laughs> we really would. We'd think that those would definitely be his 12. <laughs> They're all over the hill. <laughs> there were 16, 17, 18-year-olds, 22, possibly 24 the oldest. Phenomenal the way in which Christ could see potential. I want to encourage us to have that kind of attitude. We've got to throw out some of the kind of, I don't know, just some of the weird ideas that we get in our heads. You know, I've found on our eldership over the years, uh, first time we released an 18-year-old turning 19 onto eldership, it freaked so many people out in our church. Then when it was turned for him to be part of the decision-making process of releasing another 19-year-old onto team, onto eldership, he had a whole lot more that needed to be considered. <laughs> and that's the issue, is, is we start playing games in church. You know what, we've got to understand, we've got a mission. There's a planet that needs impact. And the quicker we can get the potential out there, the better we're going to do. Why kill them with church politics and absolute boring systems? Let's Find a way to get them out there. About 25 years ago, I wasn't leading the church. Um, uh, well, I've never led the church. Jesus leads the church, just so that you know. <laughs> A little halo. <laughs> I was in that kind of year of transition, and we were helping minister into Zanzibar. There was another guy that was kind of doing most of the preaching and that, and we would go as a team of cornerstone young guys, and we'd go and kind of prepare the, the ground. We'd get PA systems and chairs and that, and I took 10 young guys with me, did no preaching. I sourced food. We just did all the, the helping stuff, and when the quip was over, we hired 250 motorbikes, and we went and explored the island. It was awesome. We slept under palm trees. We snorkeled together. We ate coconuts and chapati and pineapples for supper and you know just got to know the guys seven out of that 10 came onto my eldership team and all it is is a little bit of interest a little bit of interest and starting to find ways in which we can build together and we need to trust God for that I want to encourage every one of us over here have you kind of got that in your sights and, and we've got to get beyond this of just trying to make it ourselves. There's so much more that we need to be busy with. We really do. When we put our lives into others, things start to make sense. Just a bit of a report about South Africa. We've had, uh, you know, Tyron come twice. Uh, we've had a, an incredible uh, kind of national elders. Wonderful because, you know, after a long time of not being able to get together with COVID, we finally were able to. And there are so many more that have kind of linked in and partnering and churches planted and kind of the momentum's picked up wonderfully to where we uh, had equips. There was an international team meeting we hosted in Johannesburg and we are seeing a fresh move of God's spirit. And so as much as we love you guys and we partner with you, would you continue to pray for us? Because as we look at the hopelessness of our politics and economics and environment and all the rest of it, the church is the one that has the answer. And we are seeing through the church, the connection, uh, the new kind of society born and that. So pray for us because we, we are, for me, like experiencing the first fruits of revival. Uh, so my name is Marcus Terence Herbert. In case you didn't know, Marcus means defender, Terence means tender. So they call me the tender defender, just to, <laughs> in case you wanna know my handle. <laughs> Pretender, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. This, this front row. Maybe we need to replace the whole front row with somebody else. <laughs> but um, 
I'm sure you've picked up prophetically over the time that God is dealing with stuff. For me, I feel he's dealing with weariness. Uh, you know, the whole COVID thing, it's amazing uh, how much time we had at home, but how weary we became. Uh, it's exhausted us, some of this stuff. For me, God wants to remove ceilings tonight. I believe God wants to deal with fear, unbelief, and something that's come up a few times is he wants to deal with grumpy leaders. <laughs> I do believe it. Do you know, we get the privilege of partnering with God in leading his people. How can we be grumpy about that? It is, it's got to be the greatest job on the planet, and some of us get resourced from the church. We had a transocle guy come and speak to our elders, and he gave us an hour of how not to be grumpy leaders. It's amazing that you can spend an hour on how to not be a grumpy leader. Because, to, yeah, I know, talking about Cornerstone again. Eh? <laughs> and you know the bottom line? You can't just put a smile on your face, you know, like a wire hanging in your mouth and think that's the way to do it. You can't fake it. We've got to represent the heart of God. That's the, Paul said, follow my example. And uh, the, the bottom line for him was, when you've lost touch with Jesus, you become grumpy. Suddenly you carrying the burden. Suddenly it's all about your importance and, you know, look at them again. And I just want to encourage us, just allow the joy of God to come back into your heart. Go back to him. If you're tired of people, go back to God. Do not take this thing in inverted commas called a sabbatical. It's an absolute cop-out. For me, if you need long leave, go on long leave. Honestly, if you need another weekend, go on a weekend. But get into God's presence so that you don't become a grumpy leader. I do believe that God is commissioning us to begin pioneering again. It really is. You know, this, this country was discovered by pioneers. And some of the movies we see of, you know, fighting wolves and, you know, hacking your way through forests and establishing towns and all the rest of it. You know, we settle and then somehow we allow that to get into the, our understanding of church. Church is never, ever about settling. Never. They get Paul. Barnabas must have thought he hit the jackpot when he got Paul into Antioch. First pre-meeting, it seems like Paul's in, and the Spirit says, send Barnabas and Paul out. Goodness me, what is going on over here? You know, you join another church. No. And they come back a year and a half later. The church is still there. They're excited, and they continue to impact the world. God has designed it that every single church is going to impact. Every single church. You don't have to be thousand strong, and there are various levels and various ways in which we're going to do it. But it's the heart attitude, not the program, that is going to stop us. He wants to set us on fire, and he is taking hold of us for that. So would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, please? I want to begin with that scripture which we all know, it's well read. Um, at one stage, Tyron would read this out at equips, at team meetings. He'd speak to our elders and he'd read it out again. And I'd, I'd just go home and say to my wife, if I hear that scripture again, I'm joining somebody else, really. <laughs> it's always about Jesus. Yes, and boy, did I get a smack. <laughs> Not from her, but from God. Can we ever get enough of Jesus? Can we, honestly? Never. And I think the biggest COVID reset, because COVID for me was God pressing control, alt, delete. I know for some of you that have Macs, you don't know what that means. Me neither, but I heard it resets the machine. Or you just unplug, plug in again. That's like IT advice. But what it does is it clears your whole system of all the creepy things and the wrong bits of spyware and whatever it is that's holding on and you get back to the operating system. And I feel like God's got us back to the centrality of Christ again. So let's read it, Matthew 16, 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I will, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, I trust you that our hearts would be open, our ears would hear, and we'd just understand 
what you're saying to us tonight. Tonight is not about notes, Lord. It's about what are you saying to my heart? What changes are you urging me to make? What are you wanting me to highlight? What are you wanting me to run with, Father? And I pray that you'd help us get back to this place of building with Jesus because that's the church that overcomes. How foolish we've been in the past as we've run to courses and we've run to systems and we've run, um, Lord, almost to voices that just seem so good, but yet the results are never there. Yet it's right there. When we exalt you, Jesus, we see things begin to happen. Amen. And so yes, yes, the kind of comparison, flesh and blood or revelation. And, and I think in the kind of 35 years of kind of leading churches and planting and, you know, getting busy with things of the kingdom, it's always, you, you're always confronted with flesh and blood or revelation. Sometimes it's hard work to get the revelation. So rather download it, find somebody else's, copy it and paste. I remember in planting in this inner city area, um, there was an older guy in the Lord that I went to for a bit of advice. This is before my relationship with NCMI. And he said, just try anything. I said, well, what does that mean? He said, try anything and eventually you'll find something works. So I said, okay, cool. So I, I did. I put up a notice at like a general like square area, of, uh, like a, uh, an area where the cafes were and that uh, Christian looking for others. <laughs> you know, I didn't even know how to word this stupid thing. Yes. I ended up in a life group. They needed a leader, and so they were very happy to have me. But it started on the roof of the apartment block with smoking marijuana. <laughs> ended up playing, you know, kind of Beatles songs and putting Christian words to it. <laughs> and then collecting money to go and tell the world that the Catholics are wrong. <laughs> so I realized that was not going to work. <laughs> I had a couple of those starts. And, you know, I suppose just in my foolishness, I thought, you know, Lord, we're going to have to do this together somehow. And, you know, we kind of forged ahead and started to see stuff begin to happen. You see, sometimes that relationship and revelation of Christ just seems too simple. And we are always, it doesn't matter whether you lead a church or lead a life group or a company or whatever, you're always going to be confronted, even in, in, in uh, parenting your kids. It's always going to be flesh and blood, or am I going to get a revelation of Christ? And we need to be trusting God for that. We have been given the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome? And He will help us find those things that are necessary so that not only can we see this church built, but it can overcome. And, and God wants overcoming churches. The gates of hell won't prevail. And so... The big question then is, are we allowing him to do exactly that? So he did. He asked, you know, what do people say I am, who I am? Now, who do you say I am? And I think that's the question for each one of us. Uh, as leadership teams, we need to say, what do you want to do over here, Lord? And season by season, we found fresh revelation coming of who he is and what he wants to do. We hold on to those and the world is full of ideas. And, you know, leaders in our church are kind of saying, well, you've got to run the Ralph Neighbor course and you've got to do this. I remember about seven, eight years ago, I was chatting to a young guy who just planted. And I said, what, what kind of church are you kind of looking at here? He said, I want to be a Bethel church. I said to him, there's already a Bethel church. It's taken. That number's taken. So what do you want to be? And, and I thought, how sad. Because it's almost like you're saying to God, you can't do it again. You can't kind of make something happen here, so I've got to follow something else. No, followers of Christ. Because through that, he's going to show us what to do. And so I want to encourage you to go to him and allow him to give you the revelation. Because in it, we'll see the word of God manifest. In it, you'll see the values of the kingdom displayed. In it, you'll see the attractional gospel, not seeker sensitivity. You know, it's too often we get duped into flesh and blood ways of filling the building. But then they don't tell us what to do when we fill the building. <laughs> but with Christ and the revelation he gives us, he'll enable us to do these. And I know this sounds very theoretical, 
But let me tell you now, 22 years of leading an eldership team, we have seen fruit season by season. Faithful plodding with the basics are gonna get you fruit every single season. And so right now we're reaping in some areas and other areas we're sowing. Other areas we're watering. But let me tell you, there's crops coming all the time. And we just say thank you to the Father for that. And sometimes he's preparing us in advance so that we can be ready for the challenge. And so my best example of this, because now I wanna see how does this work out. I know you can read through the book of Acts and you can see we're working through it at the moment and you'll see very meticulously how the Spirit of God leads the church that way. And you see how Jesus builds. You can see it. It's all the elements of it are there. But there's none so good as Revelation 1, 2, and 3. And there you have seven churches that are picked on. Kind of they the seven churches that were John's kind of care and concern. Now he's on the island of Patmos. John, remember, he's the apostle of love. And, and as he's you know, in exile, he's praying over these churches. He loves them. He wants to see them succeed. And then he gets downloads from heaven for them. The leader gets a download that he shares with the leader of each of those churches. And how does every one of those letters begin? With the revelation of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? And each church has a unique revelation of Jesus. Do you know there's no end to the revelation of Jesus. Uh, at the end of the book, uh, the Gospel of John, uh, after three and a half years of ministry, the Gospel of John says, there, there are not enough books in the world to contain what Jesus did in three and a half years. And you know, so often with the revelation of Christ, we just think, well, you know, we got it. He's good, he forgives, that's it. Okay, let's get on to building church. No, there's a fresh revelation that speaks directly into each situation. You know, you think of the Ephesians in Revelation 2.1. The angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Immediately, he reminds them of his love and his care for them. Why? Because they've forgotten about their first love. You see, where is Jesus right now? It's a rhetorical question. It's also supposed to make us think. He holds everything together, the Bible tells me. Jesus um, kind of is everywhere. Uh, Jesus is walking amongst the churches. Isn't that awesome? He plants the lampstands and then he walks amongst them, tending each one individually. And so when he gets to Ephesus, he says this about them. I just wanna remind you that I'm walking amongst you, I'm there, I'm with you, I haven't left you. And even though you've kind of been going 40 years or so, I'm still there. Where else is Jesus? At the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Isn't that an amazing thing? We are never alone. I remember we were three years into our kind of plant in Hilbra. I had a very bad rock and roll band that eventually became quite good. We used to win busking competitions that we didn't even know we were part of. <laughs> it was, we got judged on our outreach one Sunday and we won the competition. Anyway, that was, we were quite happy with that. But at the same time in Hillbrow, this inner city area, I developed a relationship with the deaf community, deaf Christian fellowship. And they asked if me and the band could come and play at their youth camp. <laughs> First gig we get <laughs> is to play at a deaf camp. <laughs> Our music was that bad. <laughs> I think it was just my personality. So we go to this youth camp and we set the speakers up, they tell us in the middle. And then, you know, the wires to the speakers and the snake to the sound desk. And then all the deaf dudes come and hold the wires and put their hands on the speakers. It was like really weird. Eh? My, I was like, mind was blown. I was just watching what was going. That's where I met Jonah. <laughs> he's our worship leader now. One of the guys I met there. I met him at this height. And now he's been leading in our church. Anyway, you know, they start singing. They can feel the beat in the snake and on the speakers. And so we were singing more love, more power. <laughs> yes, you're going to think I'm ungracious, but there's a point to this. <laughs> so that went, more love, 
more. It's like you were killing a cat trying to sing that song. Yes, I, I thought, that's worse than me, and I'm bad. <laughs> and straight away, the Spirit of God said to me, do you know that that worship, through the intercessory prayer of Christ, gets to God perfect, perfect. Yes, I tell you, I repented big time. And this is the thing, is Christ is concerned for every church, every situation. And he's wanting to reveal himself, and he's wanting to give you what you need so you can make the adjustments. Why are you making the adjustments for that church when you should be making the adjustments for your church? You see, they didn't mix it up. Thank goodness they didn't get Laodicea's letter. Nobody wanted that letter. That goes straight to Laodicea. You know, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. That belongs to Laodicea. Keep, that's not us. Thank goodness they understood this principle. And so we see in every one of these instances, and we can go to Laodicea, and it says that the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, who, who is the beginning of God's creation. They had totally forgotten about Jesus. Totally. It's amazing. They ignored him completely. And, and he said, the, when I think of you, all I want to do is vomit. So as he's walking amongst the lampstands, you know, he kind of rubs Ephesus a little bit. The poor guys are Sardis are going through persecution. Laodicea, yes, I tell you, bring me the bucket. You know, because we got, I just can't stomach this church. Now, imagine if they never listened to the council. And they never, thank goodness that, you know, he did counsel them. And you think that you got it all together. And so many of us, we do. We, we kind of glory in flesh and blood. You know, I've got the building. I've got the, you know, all the, the media and everything. We've got the top worship leader and everything. And we think that's it. No, the will of God, the revelation of Christ. And then the indictment against that church is, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I think that's a direct message to us in this age is we manage to do church without Jesus. We create atmospheres for people to repent. We kind of have programs. We, we are so well organized, the Holy Spirit's not in it anymore. And, and when that happens, we're in a sad place. So what does he say to Ephesus? Unless you repent and do as you did at first, I'm gonna take your lampstand away. There is no lampstand where there's no more love of Christ. And with them, they needed to get their act together as well because there was gonna be nothing left. And so I wanna encourage us with this. These are extreme examples, but the Bible is honest so that we can understand there's always gonna be a flesh and blood approach. And you know, as you work through those letters, you'll see to Sardis, he says, wake up. They've fallen asleep somehow. Imagine falling asleep with this great gospel message. God, revive us. We need your revival. And of course, 1 Corinthians 3, Paul warns us to be careful how we build. So God holds us as, as leaders. He holds us responsible. As moms and dads, as you as an individual over your own life, he holds us responsible of how we build. And there is no greater way than to go back to him and to say, I want to see more of you, Lord. I want my appetite for you to grow. And we know later on, you know, Peter kind of gets let into a little bit more of what's going to happen to Jesus and straight away steps into flesh and blood and he says, don't worry, Lord, we'll sort it out. And the Lord looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. And one moment, he's the hero. And you know, Peter's nature, when the Lord said to him, you know, good, Peter, he probably turned to the others and said, who's the guy? <laughs> Peter, that's right, <laughs> me and Jesus close like that, eh? And that moment must have been an incredibly difficult one for him because some of the commentators say, no, it wasn't that harsh. No, it was harsh. Your leader saying to you, pointing at you, get behind me, Satan. Sometimes that's how serious the correction in our lives needs to be. What was Peter's greatest attribute? When Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. He kept on following Jesus. I tell you, you correct somebody in a church today and they hear from God and they find other churches who love them and appreciate the gifting a whole lot more. We don't know how to deal with robust relationships and be real 
and change into the likeness and image of Jesus. And I know there's overbearing leadership, but I think generally you, you've got to tread so carefully around people. No, we're here for the sake of seeing the gospel go out and we cannot afford to kind of have that attitude. And so for me, are we correctable? Will we make the changes? I think it's so important because there's just too much burnout. There's too much frustration, confusion. You know, kind of leading our churches like a speedboat. You know, our, our folk are kind of going in that direction and three months later they're going in that direction and then we back this way and it's so confusing. No, we need to get this boat in the water and we need to pick up the wind and we need to start to hear from God and build with the revelation of Jesus in every situation. And so I kind of have got a couple of issues that I feel God has been speaking about generally and I wanna challenge us with these and hopefully one or two of these you're gonna kind of catch on. So for me, the, the one thing definitely is this revelation of Jesus. Are you building with a revelation of Jesus in every area? Is it, or is it just flesh and blood? What seems convenient? What might work? What worked over there? And there could be a similarity, but are you saying this to us, Lord? Do you want that to work here? We all rushed out and bought Ralph Neighbor's home group sets on how to run a home group. But it didn't work in our context because it fitted a kind of oriental mindset. No, we had to find out what God wanted us to do. How do we open our homes to do that? And so for me, there's just no end in growing in our revelation of Jesus. We need to continue. I've read this quote. This year, I wanna be more like Jesus. No matter what, I wanna do the will of the Father. I wanna hang out with sinners. I wanna upset religious people. I wanna tell stories that make people think. I wanna choose unpopular friends. I wanna be kind, loving, and merciful, and I wanna seek and save the lost. <laughs> I wanna be more like Jesus. I wanna do that. I don't wanna you know, have some of the pseudo things. I wanna see him represented in this local church. And the one thing, Jesus is never grumpy. He does get grumpy with religion, but he's not grumpy. Second thing is our relationship with the Holy Spirit. This has something that in this equip has come up. In the Chicago equip it came up. In the South African equip. Wherever we're going, God is bringing us back to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Settle the cessationist, sensationalist argument. And I, too much, what is your approach? Well, I'm ex-Baptist and you know, I'm more Pentecostal or I'm you know, this and Lutheran and... Those aren't in the Bible. None of them are. There's a scriptural opinion that we need to hook into. How can you do it without the Holy Spirit? Tell me, there is too much orphan Christianity around. And you know, Jesus said, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I'm not. And he was speaking to the disciples who walked with him, who talked to him, who cried with him, who saw all the stuff with him. That's how close our relationship's gonna be with God through the Holy Spirit. The latest one for me that just got me totally bewildered. One of my elders said, I'm gonna step off eldership and he stepped away from our church now because we're too charismatic. And so I said, well, what's your issue? He said, now I'm a reluctant continuist. Just, I tell you, try and work that out. I don't wanna be reluctant anything in the kingdom, nothing, continuous. In other words, I might admit that there could be a move of the spirit or necessity for him. How arrogant, I stepped away from him. Lightning is coming any minute to zap him. And if the lightning doesn't come, I will help. You see the cessationists, spirit's finished, gone. Sensationalists, unless there's gold dust and you know, manna and all the rest, the Holy Spirit's not there. You know what? It's better to have wildfire than no fire. I'd rather go for that. I really would. Naturally supernatural. I wanna keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And this is a thing that I feel God is challenging us with. This is an adjustment that we need to make. We need to settle the issue. You're not a Baptist. You're not a Pentecostal. You're none of these. I'm a born again believer who understands the scriptures and I want to follow those through. How can the Holy Spirit be necessary to do what happened in the book of Acts, but not for me now when we plant and we kind of pioneer in Johannesburg? How? Never. Not at all. 
The other one is multiplication and continuity. And this has to do with the young guys and the older guys and all of them that are coming through. It is just so important that we get busy with multiplying everything that we, that we have. You know, too often we say we haven't got enough leaders or, you know, we can't afford to send them because we've got nobody to fill these gaps. No, we need to do it. We need to get busy with it. When Christ started his ministry, he went through the laborious process of seemingly holding his ministry back to train 12, but he went further and quicker. Same with Paul. He arrives at Ephesus, finds 12. What is his key discipleship issue? The gospel being filled with the Spirit, understanding that. They become his team in Ephesus. And they, with him, take the gospel to the whole of that Asian region. Very important. Here's a quote from uh, Tyrant's dad. He said, I desire to be one who catalyzes people to dream big dreams. I want every person in my care and influence to go beyond me. So I want them to dream big dreams in God. I know this isn't Christian, but are you a dream catcher? <laughs> in that sense? <laughs> no, no, I'm qualifying it. Just hold on there. Does it get you, when you sit with somebody, are you, are you just telling them about how important your ministry is? You know, they've got a story of redemption. They've got an, a, a kind of record of how God has led them. They should sit with us and be inspired to want to go further. And, and want to dream big dreams. And as we talk, and as we kind of show them the doors that are open, it should inspire them to go further. And there is no such thing as you are too old, ever, ever. What did you say? Yes, I'll tell you, the front row, we are sharing a set of teeth between them. <laughs> <laughs> Made a comment. <laughs> Sorry, Paul Brendan, you got roped in with this. <laughs> the Apostle Paul started ministry at 57. Okay, how about that? Abraham was 75 when he was called. Sarah got pregnant sometime after her 89th birthday. I know that was miraculous. Please don't let that happen to Adele, Lord. Thank you. Okay, it's all good. Just proviso. I am 67. I know, I look about 87, but anyway, I've still got 18 years before I get to 85, then I can take my hill country. I've still got lots of active service. I really have. And you know, sometimes we just kind of slip into the world's mode. You know, 65, just gonna chill now, it's up to you guys. No, show us, we need the fathers, we need the mothers, we need examples, we need those who are active in the kingdom of God. Come and show us, come and help us, important. This thing of multiplying is just so important for every single one of us. You know, I remember when I kind of had finished Bible college and I felt God clearly said to me, go to where it's darkest in the city. And you know, I told those around me, they just didn't understand it. And I said to my wife, well, we're going alone. And I tell you, with this thing of multiplication and continuity, we want to build into those that are coming behind us the thing of pioneering and risking once more. It's interesting, we who risked and broke open the frontiers are now raising up the generations coming behind us to maintain and fix and keep the status quo. Now let's go and bust open another frontier. Let's go and impact another country. We still sit with the major part of this world, the people groups unreached. They're waiting. You know, not just unsaved, they're unreached groups who have no clue whatsoever. And we are gonna see us pain with lives when it comes to that. You see, we win the war on two fronts. We win the war when we keep the ground we've taken, maintenance, and we've gotta win new ground. We've gotta take new ground. We can't stop just with keeping what we've got. I'll go quickly. Um, for me, the next one is the need to think base church. It's come up, battleship versus ocean liner. The way God explained it to me, aircraft carrier or love boat. Remember the series? The captain, you know, mm -hmm. welcome on the ship. And we are pressured into it, you know, because they can find a church that is better than this ocean liner. There's a church with greater facilities and the rest, but that's not why we're attractional. The attractional part of this is Jesus. Ocean liner, 
there one person looks after two and a half passengers. I don't know how they do that. But anyway, there's one person to two and a half passengers to make sure you're well fed and you've got no issues. And of course, just one little mistake and I'm gonna go to another ocean liner. Battleship 75 people to an aircraft. That's what I want. I want that kind of the, the swoosh of aircraft taking off and helicopters landing and the action of that. And everybody who's involved is for that. When Paul and Barnabas come back, they get the whole church together, not just the leadership team, and they say, guess what, guys? God has opened a door for us, for the gospel, with the Gentiles. We're sharing it together. Very important that. You see, the church exists for its non-members. We know that. It does. Today, as we sit here, we're not here just to keep everybody happy. And a lot of preaching kind of goes down that road. So there are two types of people in the world, right? That's our bias. And that's not Canadians and others. So no, that's what you're about to say. Or for America, Democrats and Republicans. <laughs> what are they? Saved and? No. Not about to be saved. Saved and about to be saved. That's it. And so that's what motivates us. Lastly, this is the one I feel that I just want to help us understand a little bit more, is our apostolic identity. I feel this is something God's restoring to the church. It's important that we understand it. It's not a project. It's not an add-on for later. We hear the statement of, as you plant, plant this way, because this is the identity of the church. You know, from our Christology comes our understanding of mission. And that is the thing. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. There's a fresh, for me, and a clear, loud call for us to pioneer once again. It's time for us to become focused on this. And you know, it's not about bank balances, elders, those who lead. It's not about have you got enough people? Have you got, it's, you've got to have this heart. And in any way that we can serve and we can send out and we can encourage, we want to do that. And as we do that, he increases our capacity. We kind of preached that for years. Four years ago, my son and daughter-in-law say, yes, we're going. Yes, I tell you, did that test me? I thought immediately I'm going to prophesy to the contrary. <laughs> but we've seen them go. They're in New York at the moment. Please pray for them. They're about to pioneer a church plant. And for me, you know, you have this church in Antioch. What was that prayer meeting about? Have you ever thought, what was the content of that prayer meeting? Paul was in that prayer meeting. Paul was told, you're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. I wonder if our prayer meetings are that kind of loaded with apostolic kind of venture and punch and zeal and passion. Or is it, you know, were they praying for new seats or maybe a better building or deeper carpets or we need two coffee machines, Lord. One for that side and one for that side. So we're going to pray and fast. I've heard some weird reasons why churches have prayed and fasted. No, they were praying for the gospel to go to the nations. And you know, usually, and we know according to the old way that we did it with missionaries, you go and look for the guys that just don't fit in. You are the odd guys, so God's calling you to go. We give them second-hand tea bags, used clothing. And we take up a silver offering, and then we say, go and impact the nations. Antioch set the precedent, Paul and Barnabas. So imagine it's you and a couple of the, the others on the eldership. Will there be a church when you come back? And that's why we should build apostolically. The Bible has examples. Apostolic friendship, Philemon. Apostolic hosting, Gaius. <laughs> He's my favorite character. <laughs> Three John. <laughs> Man, he's commended for making food and hosting people. I just dig it. Using your home for the kingdom. <laughs> Not gonna go down any road now, just keep focused. Apostolic business, um, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla and Aquila. Ap they use their business to help Paul and then they eventually go and open up the opportunity for the gospel to go to Ephesus. I love it. Apostolic partnership with Barnabas, obedience, Paul and Barnabas. Apostolic sonship, discipling, Timothy and Titus. Apostolic partnership with churches, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi. It's all about the apostolic. You see, we've got to take it from being a title 
or some kind of thing that applies to, you know, super kind of, you know, the, all the Marvel people in the church. No, it's not that. It's everyone should have an apostolic heart. Apostolic heart is we're made to fish and we're commissioned to go. Every single one of us. When Jesus calls the first disciples, he says, come follow me. I'll make you comfortable. You missed it. Because that's how churches advertise. Come to our church. You don't even have to listen. We printed the sermon out. Fill in the blanks. That's all you got to do. And you go home and the revelation's yours. All you got to do is just give a little and we love you. We really do. And it's sad that. No, no. We want to mobilize every single person to take the neighborhood, to take the nation and the nations of the world. And unapologetically, this is what we live for. And we know that it's going to require giving of our best. We, to the point, give that we end up with no salary sometimes. But that's the issue. Because God fills in those gaps. He does. He really does. So I want to encourage us to allow him to change this. Or some of these issues in our lives that we need to deal with. Because he does want to deal with them. And you know, too often I've kind of seen, remember the thing is you get married and then I say to them, when are you going to have kids to a new couple? Well, five years time. Why? No, we need a fridge and we need all the things that open and close. And that is so selfish. When are you going to go on your first trip? When are you going to save up and impact somebody else? Or, you know, do something that is outside of yourself. And as a believer, if we don't start that way, we're never going to get there. It'll always be something we add on. So Jesus says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Right now, it doesn't matter how hard you try not to, as Clay jumping off the wheel all the time and he's having to look for you, he's trying to make you a fisher of men. And if I understand this, there's a whole pool of influence that he wants you to get busy with. We were 600 strong as a church and we filled out little slips of paper. I said, tell me how many people you impact in a week. Cornerstone, 600, impacted 40,000 people every week. We neighbors, friends at work and the rest. They are waiting for us, for us to pray. I cannot believe we're gonna be present at the great white throne judgment and a secretary that I saw for 30 years is cast into the lake of fire and I never said a single word. I'm not trying to scare us. I'm trying to say there's, there's gonna be some kind of, for me, regret at seeing that happen. I explained it to my daughter. She was 12 years old. And I said, there's this great white throne judgment. Well, it's not fair. Well, you understand 12-year-olds, you know. It's not fair. God is love. Why is he gonna do this? She said, no, Dad, I understand that. It's not fair. We need to tell them. And I think we need to wake up to the fact that there's something greater than COVID and all the rest is people who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are gonna die and go to a Christless eternity. And whole nations have been beguiled by the enemy and we need pioneers to help us go and do that. Here's a sad indictment. Europe sent them to Africa. Now Africa's sending them back to Europe. And we are, the battle is, is furious. It's, it's not an easy one. It's like darkest Europe at the moment. And we need to trust God for inroads. Can we stand and can we respond? Can we have the worship guys up? Is that okay to pray, Mark, Tyron? Brilliant. I like the fact that God has ministered to the, to the young guys. And I just want to encourage you, there's no ceiling at all. You know what? The only thing that we work on is our character is we risk with, with youth, but not with character. Jesus risked more with character than we did. <laughs> he, he risked with Peter, James, John, all of them. But Father, give us that heart. Give us that heart, Lord. Maybe just for a moment, we can kind of just consider some of the challenge. You know, have we built without him? Because that was the Laodicean problem. Just somehow they managed to do church without Jesus. Baby, bow your heads and just allow the Lord to challenge your heart. Maybe as well, you've kind of held back. You know, kind of, yeah, well, you know, maybe just the odd appearance. 
some of the meetings and a little bit of commitment. Now, this is an all-in. All of us, every single one of us. The Holy Spirit relationship was well dealt with earlier. But if you haven't been filled with the Spirit, you need to be filled with the Spirit. It's God's provision to enable you to fulfill what he's called us to do. Very important. Father, we want to build battleships all across this country. We want to see them impact in a great way. Kirk and Jan, I kind of have a word for you guys. Um, and we have a good relationship. <laughs> and I know some, I just sensed there was a bit of weariness that God has wanted to remove. And just remind you of, for me, I've always known you for your single-mindedness when it comes to the kingdom of God. And I want to remind you of that because at times you reminded me. And when you're on our eldership team, you, you kind of did some of that. <laughs> and you always displayed that. And even though you think we've got a good foothold where we are in Ottawa, I kind of feel like there's just so much more. There's sons and daughters that you are going to see raised up. And I know, I've seen it, you sow, you sow, you sow. And then nothing seems to happen. But I'm saying now, we're going to see some harvests. We're going to see them. And you're going to look back and say, well, where did all of this come from? Uh, I just want to encourage you with that because I feel like weary hands, he's lifting them up for you. Maybe guys can get around you and just pray in that way. Uh, I think it's just so important. James and Lee, maybe you come out here. You guys okay? We're just going to spend a bit of time with you. I also feel, um, just come stand here. Maybe we can have some guys just pray with you. Um, appreciate your passion it's wonderful to see the way in which you father uh, and I love the, just your, your embracing the kingdom in that uh, but I, I just want to pray for, for me that there's greater anointing in what God has called you to do and for me the unity of what he's called you to do is important the unity on your team the unity in the area the unity with what God you know in our partnerships you know, and sometimes that's where we battle a little bit. But I want to encourage you with that. Don't give up on relationships. Don't give up on the partnerships. Because, man, they're going to start to produce what we need to see produce. Psalm 133, we know God blesses unity. So I want to encourage you with that. I want to encourage you to, to continue to give. Continue to build that way. Continue to open your hearts. Uh, because I kind of feel like the, the fruitfulness of what we see there, this has to multiply not just into your local area, and I know you're big on the sites, which is cool, I love it. You know, we do the same. Many people don't agree with us, but anyway, reaching the city at the gospel, I just to encourage you. It's not there. It's the other provinces of this country. It's the other areas of this world that God wants to impact with. Can we pray with them and just trust God as well for that? Can I pray with you, Paul and Minda? <laughs> Can I have some guys come and pray with them, please? I want to pray, Father, in the name of Jesus over this couple. Can I have some guys come and stand with them? Yo, Gary, just do a little bit of something for a change. Goodness me. Just sits there all the time, you know, like he's on holiday. <laughs> yes, for me, hidden treasure. Uh, really it is. Um, I thank God for this couple, Father. I thank God for the way in which you've repositioned them strategically and the huge encouragement they are and Father, with, Lord, a base that many would say that that shouldn't really support what they're doing. They punch way above their weight. They're fulfilling a purpose, Lord, apostolically that just blows our minds. And we want to prophesy over them now. And I'd like us to do that. Prophesy and pray uh, for the doors to open, for the growth that God is going to give them men and women to be joined you're going to get guys joining you that have like not all David's depressed despair people but ones who fought 
alongside other generals, but now needing equipping so that they can go further, who need to be strengthened in a bigger way. And Lord, we trust you for those. And God will give you the wisdom to use them strategically in what you're called to. But you're a general. You're a general. There's a general's heart in you. There's kind of a, you know, the kind of general map with the little icons on it that you keep shoving around and uh, and because there's a, a big picture kingdom view that you have and God's going to use you in that way to reposition and to uh, see what he's called you to fulfilled we trust you for this we trust you for the boys in this regard we trust you for provision Lord and we prophesy and pray and over them as well thank you Lord thank you Father and for the rest of us would if you can do that, please lift your hands. I want to pray with you. I just want to trust God. I'm, you know, in, in regard to the Revelation 2 and 3 thing, that's really there to stir us to faith because God wants to speak to every one of us, every leadership team. That connection is just so important. Don't lose it. So I want to pray for that. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that the revelation of Jesus would be ongoing it would blow our minds. It would redeem us. It would set us free. It would, it would demolish every single ceiling. It would take away every fear. Lord, it would satisfy the depth of our souls. And it would declare for us a future like never before. I pray that in the name of Jesus, Lord, that the, the attraction of every church and every home represented here would be Jesus Christ. Not the exterior things. It would be the living Christ, the anointing, the power of the gospel manifest. I trust you for that, Lord. And I do believe that out of this, Father, we're going to see pioneering again. That heart, Lord, of saying, I want to challenge the status quo. I don't know how. I don't know how. But we're going to climb on that boat, Paul and Barnabas, and we're going to go and do what God's called us to do. You know what? They came back and they discharged their responsibility. So I pray for that now, Lord, that we'd see that take place. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord.